In our 2000 startup world, we are seeing portable MRI solutions where a traditional MRI will be the size of a room. Now it's about probably two thirds height of me. Wow. What is NVIDIA like as a company in terms of the culture and the organization? NVIDIA is a fantastic company um, that has the culture of speed of light. And that means that we move really fast, test our hypothesis, execute, and learn as we go. It doesn't necessarily mean that, um, you know, the the Silicon Valley culture of everyone thinking just uh, run fast and break faster and uh, doesn't care about quality. We do hold ourselves to the highest accountability in terms of um, solving the right problem, solving unique challenges that NVIDIA is able to solve um, for our customer base. And that answers the first question, NVIDIA's culture. What was the second question? In terms of the culture and the organization. And the organization. Ah, organization is a very interesting one because NVIDIA, even though we have 26,000 some people in a public face facing com- um, a publicly traded company, we actually are a very, very flat organization where there are only a few layers from the very junior person all the way up to our CEO. And the reason why we decided to do that is because um, we want to ensure mission as a boss and remove all hierarchy that is um, being in the way of what how we can potentially innovate for the industry. So that's the main reason. And that comes with its unique opportunity and challenges for sure. Um, the unique opportunity is that Hey, if you don't like your project that you're currently working on the team, you can just raise your hand and say, I want to volunteer for another mission. And uh, we are all treated as volunteers and to come work for a company that we all love deeply to build together. And yeah, I think it's a very fantastic one to be in. And that's why I've been here for such a long time, because a lot of, I would say, millennial generations are changing jobs every other year or something like that. But it's it's interesting to be in a company with so many brilliant minds around and building some of the most cutting edge technology and uh, changing the industry literally every single day. For sure. Yeah, that statistic also applies to Gen Z. I think, you know, Gen Z are the most likely to change their job every 10 to 12 months. Um, You know, don't want to work in different fields. And speaking of different fields, how does NVIDIA enter different fields like self-driving cars, for instance, differently than other companies? NVIDIA, if from, um, from the core perspective, we started as a chip company. And as a chip company, it means that we were you know, really established in the gaming business because a lot of gamers love to buy one GPU and uh, put it into their workstations and be able to experience very um, interactive games in real time. Similar technology, the parallel processing is actually made available for training AI and inferencing AI in the long run. And uh, what we realize is that such technology has enabled a lot of um brilliant minds of the world to solve problems that could be um, essentially augmented or help people become more efficient, either at identifying things, classifying things, segmenting things. It's a universal problem that can be applied for all industries. 
So when we enter an industry, it's um, which we are now in almost all industries, like oil and gas, industrial, self-driving car, healthcare, um, fintech, retail, you name it. Because honestly, every single one of them has those problems, identifying certain things, um, classifying them and segment them as an example. And uh, AI has opportunities to help speed up um, how human interact uh, with tasks. Um, so for that, in that case, we pick unique problems to solve and enter with a very intentional and mindful way of solving a problem. Or sometimes, honestly, we're building an industry, a segment of the industry that no one has even thought of. And we will build it and then people potentially could come. Um, so it's, it's a very interesting approach. Like for example, at NVIDIA healthcare side, right? We, um, healthcare is really big. A lot of people think healthcare is like, oh, it's the ring that I'm wearing on my finger that can track my sleep. It's the wearables that I'm tracking my breathing and uh, heartbeats and things. Um, and for us, it's actually, we have to identify the unique problems in that space. And for us, we realize that AI can significantly help speed up imaging and uh, instruments, drug discovery and genomics. And therefore we prioritize our time building an application framework called Clara to help solve problems that are in those four segments and not specifically in maybe the consumer day-to-day -day type of a healthcare application. So I think we take a similar approach, identifying very challenging problems that NVIDIA is very uniquely um, capable of solving and uh, figure out the market size and then we go and go in there accordingly. Sure. And you're at a very interesting section as well in terms of AI and healthcare yourself. Uh, you see over 2,000 AI healthcare startups, if that's correct? Yes. So what are the most interesting startups in the AI healthcare or at the AI healthcare intersection? Um, lots, actually. And uh, in our 2,000 startup world, we are seeing portable MRI solutions like hyperfines of the world where a traditional MRI will be the size of a room. Now it's about probably two thirds height of me um, wow. and five fourth um, to like maybe two of me stacked together. Like this mini portable MRI systems that can be wheeled in an ambulance truck. And then um, where the young patients like a baby can even have their brain scanned if needed with their comfort of their parents next to it. So I think in an in instrument side, we're seeing more and more portable solutions coming in. Um, and uh, in the imaging side, we're seeing a lot of AI for radiology, pathology solutions coming in. And uh, in that space, the part that hasn't been fully disrupted yet, where I start seeing some people going in, is actually the sort of the end-to-end -end workflow of after yeah. you deploy, develop the radiology solution, and you really want to disrupt that end-to-end um, -end for a hospital, how they deploy and work with it, sure. is a much, much bigger problem. Um, but I do see a lot of like 400 some AI imaging companies in the in the radiology space. And of course, the drug discovery and genomic space is just blowing up because that space where you imagine humans DNA, right? Um, ATCG, when we look at those, those are numbers to computers. And uh, when we leverage and combine science and engineering, we are very quickly able to get to insights a lot faster. 
to a point, the very first AI identified drug candidates is going through phase two clinical trial now. So that is like revolutionary in this space. Um, and that's also where, you know, ChatGPT is actually playing or similar technology is playing a role in the healthcare space. Well, I mean, you you created the perfect segue. So what does ChatGPT and that innovation mean for AI and healthcare? Yeah, sure. Um, ChatGPT for a lot of us is a browser and then you ask a lot of questions, prompt tune it, and then you get answers, right? And in fact, I use it every single day to improve my productivity for my day-to-day -day job. And so I like it a lot. So for those of you who have already tried it, um, you will understand the use case uh, very well when I describe it. In the healthcare space, you're start, start seeing a lot of um, startups coming in to help the hospital summarize um, patient notes, for example, or be able to get certain type of data and then analyze it accordingly, right? They may not be using ChatGPT itself, maybe a variation of it because of patient data sensitivity, et cetera, um, but the, the technology or the similar look and feel and use case um, started to bubbling up in the startup community. Another one is that in the genomics and drug discovery space, imagine if we have this technology at the very beginning of COVID-19, right? We had COVID-19, all of us are familiar with that. And it went through rounds of, you know, um, mutation of the virus. And we are we went through different types of vaccine, right? And if at the very beginning, we can somehow maybe test out using a generative approach um, to generate different types of mutation of a disease and then have human look at it to say, hey, does this make sense or not? That mm -hmm. is revolutionary because it just kind of like, you know, for us, we are looking at the poems and then we're like, oh, wow, ChatGPTs can write poems now. And uh, we can look at it and say, this makes no sense and this makes sense. Um, it's the same in the protein space as well. You can generate protein, you can generate virus that are beyond our human imagination. And some of them may not make any scientific sense, um, but some other ones may very much change how we think about um, making drugs and uh, changing the space in medicine. Well, you said previously that you've been in NVIDIA and in this space for quite a while. So how has the field of AI healthcare changed as you've been a part of it? It's very interesting. <laughs> That's a good question because we've been in the imaging space the longest. Okay. So we have NVIDIA GPUs inside these big instruments, a lot of images get changed and get generated. And then we started applying AI. AI say that like a lot of the startups started applying it like more than a dozen years ago. Mm. Um, very, very early on, some of them, when they start using AI, FDA was not there. They don't know how to approve such a thing. Um, and uh, some of them were like, okay, if we were to use this, there was a huge fear of replacing um, healthcare professional workers like radiologists, et cetera. Um, and that at the very beginning, there were a lot of kind of like when people first gone through, you know, the industrial revolution, like a lot, a lot of the manual job seems to be um, uh, automated and that fear mm -hmm. was definitely there. But after we went to, I'm just going to use this imaging as one specific example. We went to RSNA, which is one of the largest radiology conference, right? 
um, the difference between a year or two is huge in that conference. The prior year where we will hear something like radiologist is afraid of AI to immediately the positioning change. It's the radiologists that are not going to use AI will be the one that's going to be replaced, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and now we are seeing the same thing, right? ChatGPT, it is going to change the way that we work on a day-to-day basis. It's just like when you first discover Google, before right. you may be asking your parents, why is the sky blue? Now you ask Google, why is the sky blue? And then next, will that be ChatGPT? It's still mm-hmm. to be determined, but think about how things may change uh, right. with this new way of working, right? Um, and we definitely see that change in the AI in healthcare space. There are still people um, that are reluctant of using AI, Um, for many various different reasons, right? Sometimes it's because it's in rare disease, they don't have enough data. If you don't have data, it's very hard to work with a technology like AI. Some other ones, it may be, um, they absolutely um, need the human touch, for example, which by the way, I do think no matter what technology is um, automated or augmented with um, AI still need that human in the loop. Um, and human value still has lots to add in this entire workflow. So, um, yeah, we are just seeing um, a, a bigger community coming together to help um, increase the productivity of um, professional workers. Um, and going back to this COVID example, this whole telemedicine, mm-hmm. like telehealth ex- um use case blew up during COVID, right? And prior to that, a lot of people were like, no, everyone's still gonna come to the doctor and come to the office and all that. But after COVID, we were like, we can't work virtually and remotely. So now there's actually a lot more AI solution even helping with these telehealth solution um, because they now naturally can say that, wow, if I wanna run a company of um, helping 10 million patients with their mental health problem. How do I deploy a empathetic um, large language model box that is um, right. helping address um, a, some of the tedious questions like maybe um, asking how um, what your name is and the address and all those things, or maybe finding commonly known questions that, um, that there is not a lot of description discrepancy between the professional doctors because the the harder part is that like um we still very much need the doctors of the world to eventually give us an opinion about what um what are some of the diagnoses supposed to be how are some of the some of the diseases are supposed to be treated mm-hmm. i just want to take a tangent because we're at the intersection of ai and healthcare and obviously when you're talking about artificial intelligence you have to think about the ethics of it that's a you know it's a an emerging question and so do you have any thoughts or opinions about ethics when it comes to AI healthcare? Um, ethics is a huge topic in AI healthcare. There's definitely a lot of technology companies that have that at the forefront in mind. Like for example, how do you handle data? How do you de-identify the data? How do you make sure patient privacy is in place? And in fact, that was a huge challenge and problem in the space that provided opportunities for generative AI because some original data can actually not be leveraged for um, 
commercial purposes and um, or some of them could only be leveraged for research purposes after a certain form is uh, format is developed. Mm -hmm. But using generative AI synthetic data could be a way of preserving patient privacy and still continue to provide the right robust training data set to help train an AI model. So I think the ethics is definitely very high and that means a lot of things to a lot of people and uh, is how do you use the data? How do you train the model? Do you have a diverse work group um, mm -hmm. to be able to provide the expert opinions on things? And uh, when you do deploy it, what does it mean? Um, how do you make sure you meet the regulatory approval? When now we have the new cybersecurity requirement coming through in, in the medical space. That means like a startup, when they originally have to submit for FDA, like maybe a 10-page um, document for, on the cybersecurity side, they now have to submit it like, 400 to 700 pages of documents wow. just on wow. cybersecurity to ensure that whenever they upload a gigabyte of data, it's actually safe. So I think this ethical um, problem is a huge one in, mm -hmm. in the market and there's lots to the impact there. For sure. And you talked about in the past, as you were seeing the AI healthcare intersection, I guess, mature, you know, one year to the next, it grew and advanced by leaps and bounds. So what do you think about the future of the intersection? Can you think of or can you speak on how you think it'll advance if you can pinpoint certain ways that it'll advance? Yeah, let me separate it into sections of the healthcare because each one of them, I think it's going to be disrupted differently. Sure. In the future, in imaging, the ones that have extensive background of knowing workflow optimization end to end and have the have a really good partnership with hospitals plus the right data, the ground truth data will be changing the space a lot. And in the future, the space will definitely be um, augmented with a lot of AIs in the in the market. And even now, Lots of AI solutions have already been deployed across like hundreds of hospitals globally. So it's going to get better and easier, and it's going to become a second nature for them. In the instrument space, we will start seeing smaller companies can leverage bigger companies who may be building general purpose computing to avoid too much of the upfront cost and uh, build something that is innovative and small form factor, portable to solve many use cases that we were not able to do. Because even just in, there's this one company called the uh, Alpenglow Bioscience, they're super cool. Um, originally, when you look at a, let's say like a pathology data, it's usually 2D, right? But the 3D pathology, or maybe even in the future, like um, like 3D spatial biology and all of that is mm. the first time ever that we can actually view 3D view of these images and make better decisions for, uh, for people. Um, so in the instrument side, it's going to become a lot smaller. The companies that are still, you know, spending millions on the infrastructure side, will likely be disrupted one way or the other. Um, let's see, the genomic space, mm. it's very interesting because having your gene being sequenced 
it used to cost thousands of dollars and long time, like years, right? But now it's like a couple of days and a hundred dollars. And sometimes even just like a few hours, even there was like a world record that was broken last year. I think it was four hours to be able to sequence that. Um, and that was, we were doing it with Stanford and a couple others. So if you guys look at the public publication, you will know. Um, with the cost effectiveness and generally available gene data, that is essentially a map of who we are, right? Will advance science tremendously. Um, so that space is to be disrupted with a lot more companies coming to build, you know, um, faster sequencers uh, so they can have a lot more data coming out. And then a lot more AI will be applied to tertiary analysis in that space to be able to see things a lot clearer and make decisions a lot faster. Um, and that space is coming. Um, it's happening this last year or two, but more is going to come because now the readily available data and imagine how much data we all each have, right? So that's another thing. In the drug discovery space, oh, this is going to be disrupted the most, the fastest, I think. Because before, it's like people would spend billions of dollars in 10 years to get one drug to market. And yeah. it's hard because of the entire pipeline, it's like from early discovery to preclinical to clinical to commercial. This is a long process. But if you can... Um, help with this early discovery to find a drug candidate, to find the next target, to find the right protein to bind, it will change the game. We never thought AI will find a drug and go to market, but it happened. It happened early last, uh, last year was the first hint of it. And this year, early this year, we saw the breakthrough. So large pharmas are paying attention to this space where AI is really coming in to help make a difference and um, solving this very costly problem in the space. Um, on top of that, it's not just the drug discovery part of it, but doing this clinical trial is also a very expensive part, right? For example, if you and I were both selected to go through a clinical trial for the, one of the drugs, and we both like, we need to be healthy, but we may be carrying a somewhat of a hidden variant or something a gene or something that they wanted to test if this drug is going to work for us mm -hmm. uh, imagine on the other end that person or that organization is trying to figure out should they be targeting you or me if they were to pay us 500 dollars to go through this clinical trial um, how can they decide which patient potentially to recruit for this clinical trial is a huge problem that has not been fully solved um, over the years given that you know the siloed and diverse group of data that they have to go collect before determine whether you or me is going to be the most incentivized to go through a clinical trial like that. So even in that space, you will see a lot more AI um, going in to help out with um, organizing, viewing, classifying, and generally spitting out data and the reports for people to make decisions. Yeah, no, I, I'm very jealous of your work and everything because I really think that the AI healthcare, I mean, just think about the way that social media algorithms all understand us. Like if we think of like Tristan Harris's example of like they create profiles of us and they they just understand us implicitly. Imagine having that power over our health. You know, mm -hmm. there's already these companies like Inside Tracker that offer us, you know, they there's they're sequencing our genes and then also giving us that data for us to work with. And they're commercializing that and just giving that to, you know, 
a wider set of the population would be tremendous and would increase our you know lifespan significantly. Um, so I guess that wraps up the AI healthcare part, but we also have to talk about startups because you oversee 2,000 of them. Um, I, we can start with what is the Inception program? Okay, sure. Um, Inception program is a virtual free program for, we now have 13,000 startups in the program and we offer them a lot of great benefits like providing them AI technical support. Um, you don't have to be just doing AI. You can do like simulation and, you know, like gaming and AR, VR. We have a space for you too. Um, and uh, we also offer a lot of um, preferred pricing, if you will. Not that you are obligated to pay for any of it, um, but hey, GPU is in high demand. Um, mm -hmm. If you couldn't get um, your hands on a GPU, we have great discounts um, for those who do find value and need to purchase a few, but not just GPUs, but also the software layer too. Some of the very smart startups that came through us would um, look at everything that we offer, handpick a few things, and then build that into a company. Um, and uh, I have seen definitely quite a lot of those too. Um, and then we also help them with VC Alliance. VC Alliance is our um, program where we have a lot of external VC that can come in and provide funding for the startups. We have about 400 VCs in, a, in our group. Last but not least is our go-to-market support, where we help with either marketing or from the technical side. Let's say instead of you know, one video stream of deploying in the hospital of detecting patient movement, how do you deploy 300 of them at once, right? Um, solutions like that. And uh, also help them with mapping them with the right um, end customers if you are trying to sell into pharma, trying to sell into hospitals, we play a role in that too. So essentially on a high level is AI technical support, prefer pricing, um, VC connection and uh, go to market. And that's kind of some of the great benefits that we offer and we have a vibrant community. And sometimes we'll host exclusive events for a like-minded group of people, meaning that they're solving the interesting problem in the same segment to get connected so they can actually uh, foster partnership and innovation together. That's fantastic. It's it's great that NVIDIA is doing that. Um, and then specifically in terms of, you know, startups need funding and everything. So what do investors look for during an economic downturn? A lot more of them are conservative in terms of um, now they will much prefer if you are working on something that has paying customers before they would be like, okay, spend some time to, you know, figure out a problem and identify a solution and test it out. And they're invested in early on companies um, quite a lot. So I think since um, the some of those recent news that you saw in, in, in the media, um, there's definitely a shift in mindset in that. I will have to say like a lot of start, uh, VCs look for things differently. Some of them have definitely their main theme-based companies, right? Some other ones focus on the ones that will um, disrupt the entire industry or other ones is more looking for financial returns, meaning that like each product you sell can help the VCs make money. And some other of them perhaps sometimes even play a role of um, merger and acquisition, right? They definitely have that within some of these uh, VC arms as well. Um, for us from the healthcare side, it's been interesting because even during the economic downturn, when I see many other industries, their funding went down, um, we stayed relatively consistent. 
they were still like down in like a lot of the digital health space, but we actually, more surprisingly, we saw like AI for genomic space or drug discovery space either went up a little bit or 2x the investment into that. Huh. So um, there are pockets, if, even during economic downturn, that can actually help us um, help the investors identify where the next area to invest in. So um, I wouldn't be you know, too discouraged with the um, economic downturn, find the right problem. And uh, if it so happened to be in a niche that where uh, VC is still very optimistic about, and I think you will have some luck. What advice do you have for people, you know, looking to enter the startup arena, either in an economic downturn or just in general? Um, building a startup is hard. Um, I built quite a couple in my life too and it's a real commitment um i think you gotta love it and from the perspective that you need to like the grind and love the ups and downs every single day is completely different in the morning you may be in cloud nine and then at night you'll be like i don't think i can put food on the table like tomorrow um so that sort of um huge thing a huge emotional swing is not for everyone but if you are looking to get into a startup during economic downturn, identify the problem first. Um, mm -hmm. So figure out, is that a problem that is just having a Tylenol is going to be okay? Or God, you really need morphine right now. Mm -hmm. um, and if it's something that you, you know, it's a huge pain point that people will be willing to pay. I think that could be a good solution. Um and honestly, sometimes using ChatGPT was like, it was like that for me. Originally, I didn't realize that it was solving my problem because I didn't mm -hmm. feel like I had a problem. Um, but what you realize is that everyone needs to be more productive. And uh, as soon as I got my hands on it and I became more productive, I was like, I have to pay for this um, because it's it's the new way of working. Being part of the evolution is going to be very, very important. Um, it's not just ChatGPT, right? There's like a lot of many other startups that are in this space. NVIDIA, we have our own solution too. And we are working with OpenAI and Microsoft very closely. They're a very good partner of ours. Um, like at NVIDIA GTC last week, you may have heard some of the announcements that we made in the AI foundation category, like Limo, Nemo LLM service kind of does the does similar things, but um, even better for enterprise grade text related solutions. Um, and BioNemo is for generative AI for biology and chemistry. And Picasso is like image to text, right? Um, some of the main use cases is like media and entertainment, but honestly, every single segment will have like text and images that you can apply those solutions in. And what we realize is that increasing people's productivity is a area of potential opportunity. So I think when you're looking into going into a startup and building a startup, not just think that, oh, wow, generative AI is the most amazing technology. So let me just apply um, this technology to something. But instead, look around and see what are the problems that we can solve and how is the existing ecosystem already doing it? Ask the question of, why hasn't this been disrupted yet? Mm. Um, and then look around to see, do we already have existing solutions like that to offer it? If not, do I need to build it or do I partner? 
and really figure out, is it a new market that you're going in? Is it in um, big and upcoming market that you could expand? Or is it a dying industry that you're going in? Um, and after you answer all of that questions, then dive in and know that it's going to be a fun ride because you learn so much um, sure. starting a company faster than you ever would um, in a um, much bigger company. And, and you have like very direct experience because you haven't just started one, you started several, but there's a psychology of starting, you know, of being in a startup and not just being in a startup, but of, you know, being the forefront of that. Can you speak to the psychology of how it changed you and what you learned during those times? I love your line of questions. Great. Um, I think when I am thrown into a an area, I am not scared. Um, is the biggest mindset change, and somehow I am fully confident that I will identify a problem and solve it, and I'll be just fine. Um, and uh, with some luck, maybe I'll disrupt the company. With some persistency and some help around uh, around me, I will probably do great. I think that mindset change is very interesting the way that you put it like for example if i were to pitch you an idea right now to say oh let's go use ChatGPT to write some books mm -hmm. uh because ChatGPT is around i love reading books let's go disrupt this market right when i start with that idea i never just keep it to myself i'll be like let me tell everyone if i really am passionate about that let me go tell everyone and everyone's gonna have the differences in opinion Someone will be like, oh, I don't know. You're going to have to go print things. And that's like inventory costs. Some other will be like, who's still reading these days? And then some other will be like, oh, what about like making it into games? And I still read too. Um, and all that. So when people ask those questions, especially the ones that are challenging you, I love it. And mm -hmm. some people don't like hearing no. And some people don't know how to respond to other people don't agree with your ideas. But when I hear it, I was like, oh, tell me more. Um, because that is also a mindset change, right? Because they are there to free advice that they're giving you that you can make your startup potentially better. Um, or even any problems that you're trying to solve, you have a more comprehensive view, right? So it's the same. Like even within NVIDIA, I changed my career path multiple times. And each time I will have to say, I went into that industry with zero background knowledge. It was nothing that I learned in college. It was nothing that I learned in my previous role. Were they transferable skills? Yes. Um, but it's the mindset to know that I'm going to do a Wikipedia search. I'm going to ask ChatGPT a couple of questions. I'm going to sit down and read a 500-page textbook on AI for drug discovery and just to learn it all. I think it's that calmness and that mindset that I'm going to be just fine going into an industry is what building a startup do for you because you just go through so much. And uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And we come out on the other end um, much more wiser to to solve better problems. I think one of the philosophies of even being in a startup is even if it fails, you don't like fail and stay static. You fail forward. Like every startup, there's no failure in it. Um, and you know, it feels it seems like when you were in these startups, you became battle hardened uh, to the point where as soon as you encounter a problem, you have a focus, you have a determination, and you also have a rigor to to the way you approach that problem to the, to the point where you're just saying what is the problem and then how do i navigate it instead of you know being anxious or taking in all of the factors and that's a really important thing that 
you know, I think people really need to abstract that into their own lives because it's not just startups. They can apply that to relationships, to families, obviously to their careers. Um, I guess the last question is what advice, this is a Gen Z Diplomat podcast. So what advice do you have for Gen Z in entering the startup arena, the AI healthcare arena, or specifically NVIDIA? Mm, sounds great. Um Entering into a startup, I think I talked about a lot. Um, find that problem, figure out a solution. Um, AI space, it's going to change very quickly. By the time maybe you finish schools or trying to figure out what where to go next, that space already changed a couple of times. Um, Gen AI is going to be a wave, um, generative AI, and leveraging AI-related solution to be more productive it's going to be a new way of working. I will say the Gen Z type that felt really lucky and, oh my God, ChatGPT is going to help me write my essay and I don't have to go to school anymore, will probably not be set up for as much success compared to those to be like, okay, this ChatGPT is here um, and uh, it's going to change all sorts of way we work. How do I best position myself when I graduate um, or pick a workplace um, that is still going to be around with such technology around? Think harder, not just benefit from the technology itself, but think about what else may it um, impact. The way we work will be different um, and be part of the evolution, contribute to it and not just be the consumer of it. Um, I would say... Um, yes, that's one of the advice I have for those who are entering into AI, because you, if you're thinking about AI, you probably, from a technical perspective, you're probably really good at math, computer science, and a couple other fields, or, and then coming in, things change pretty quickly, then can you be part of the solution problem solving side, or are you going to be one of those, um, you know, that ChatGPT is going to be able to help write all lines of code and then you you don't fundamentally understand how code works and you cannot contribute to um, bug fixing, et cetera. So mm. those are all things to consider. Um, not just solely benefit from its, what's provided, but think deeper in terms of how else you can contribute to the change and help this entire industry move forward. Um, so that's advice into AI. The last one about advice going into NVIDIA is that um, it will be very, very important to um, think about one is like where your strength is and then see if NVIDIA is a place that could um, help you thrive. Mm. I think NVIDIA is a fantastic company that treats everyone like family and offer unique opportunity and to solve some of the toughest challenge and runs at the speed of light. When I say that, it's not just, you know, a mindset, it's we even act like that. It may or may not be for everyone, right? Um, those that want to be part of this process, you are rolling up your sleeves and being an IC, individual contributor, um, regardless if you are a manager or not. You will still need to manage, you will still need to lead, You, um, but you still have the skill set to do a individual contributor role. But it's so fun to see an industry that we carve out and people love it and are buying and are we're solving their problem 
this is a one of the most innovative company that I've been at. And it's so great to be a part of the process. So um, if you're considering maybe NVIDIA is a future employer uh, for you, ask a lot of questions, read a lot of the blog posts and uh, figure out how NVIDIA is positioned and see if you see a role uh, for you to be a volunteer uh, for one of the missions that you feel passionate about, then we absolutely welcome you. Fantastic. Uh, Renee, this has been a fantastic podcast. Um, do you have any links for people to check out for yourself or for NVIDIA in general? Uh, NVIDIA.com is a great place to go. I love the NVIDIA AI podcast. It's fantastic. We wrote so many different blog posts that you will love. And for me, I can be found on LinkedIn. I love to read. I write um, my year-end summary of the books that I like to read a lot. If you are a book reader, um, feel free to check out some of those. Um, I'm visible. Just search me and uh, you'll find it. And uh, I look forward to connect with many of you guys. Okay.